This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm your Samson Folk, and you're joining me after the Raptors' double overtime win that featured major stones from Kyle Lowry, OG Ananobi, and Co., and an extra feature of Norman Powell, playoff Powell, 125 to 122, and a special guest joining me. I don't often have guests for the Reaction Podcast, but Zarar Siddiqui, Hopping on the OG to talk about the games. Zarar, how you doing, man? Man, I've lost three pounds at least in the last two and a half hours. And I have gone through, uh, you know, you know, you ever look at a sine wave? You know, it goes up and down. Like, my emotions were like that throughout this game. In this game, I experienced pain when I saw Pascal Siakam do the dumb shit he did. But then I, I was overcome by that. And then, then I moved on to a whole new phase when I saw Norm do his thing. And, of course, at the end... You, you got to come home to daddy. You got to come home to daddy. And Kyle Lowry, man, I, I, I'm embarrassed not to own his jersey. I said that last time I was on some show or whatever, but now I will definitely be buying at least a couple jerseys from Kyle Lowry because the man, the, the man is God. The man is God. That's all I can say. Well, let's let's talk about the end of the game, and then maybe we'll discuss the Pascal Siakam, I guess, disagreements that you and I probably have. But the end of the game, it seemed like. They weren't going to Kyle. Norm obviously taking that last possession at the end. And we saw, I think it was four straight possessions where Kyle didn't touch the ball. One was Pascal Siakam turning it over. A couple were Fred just pounding the hell out of the ball. The air is leaving the room. And so what did you think about them going away from him? And then do you think that was Nurse realizing, okay, we have to actually press the issue. We have to make sure that Kyle is part of it. Or do you think that was just happenstance as part of the game? It made no sense uh, at the time whatsoever. And I think I even tweeted from the main account that it made no sense. If you're going to go ISO ball at any point, you don't give it to Norm. You certainly don't give it to Pascal on this night. You give it to Kyle. And that's what that's what he did in the end. The final two possessions or whatever it was, he get, we went to Kyle and he got results right away. Because what the Celtics were doing is they were not doubling Kyle when he was posting up Kemba Walker, which is a bit surprising because Kyle's got bulk on him, yet they didn't send help because they really don't... For some reason, the Celtics... Celtics, who send help almost all the time, don't want to send help in that situation. And Kyle completely capitalized. I 100% disagree with not giving... If your offense is about running isolation basketball, more or less, then it has to start with Kyle Lowry. You can't start it with Norm. No disrespect to Norm. I mean, he's 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 a fine player. He's a good player. Obviously delivered in the end. But you don't go with anybody other than Kyle because he's the guy it's a do or die game man why would you go anywhere else but your best bet yeah I agree completely I thought it was really strange I don't know if you remember the first game of the season Norman Powell attempted the game winner against the Pelicans and in this game we got a very similar type of shot but as you said you have to go to Kyle Lowry not even just in that he was able to post up Kemba with great success and that last shot he hit that little mid-range turnaround it just looked like he was throwing the ball up like that highlight play from the middle of the year against the Wizards where he threw the ball into the net after being fouled from 40 feet it kind of looked like that it was just this guy who's gonna make the shot and will it into the basket but even outside of the post-ups 
in this matchup against the Celtics, the Raptors have not been able to find regular or consistent success outside of Kyle Lowry going in and operating as the fulcrum of the read and react attack. Just put into terms, like let, let's frame it. Kyle Lowry, this game, his legacy, is this is this just building to a cherry on top? What, what do you see Kyle Lowry as now as he keeps to evolve as one of the greatest small guards of all time? It's that he's continually surprising people. Like Raptor fans, more or less, I would imagine, you know, 100% of Raptor fans at this point are like on, like they think of Kyle Lowry as the greatest Raptor ever, a Hall of Fame player, a first ballot Hall of Famer even. But there are so many doubters there are still so many people down south, even on the ESPN broadcast, who doubt Kyle Lowry's greatness. And knowing that it's only Raptor fans who are truly appreciating this guy in his prime, and this is sort of his like prime-ish time, is something special because he's kind of like our hero, right? It's not like that joy is shared by everybody. The, 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 the people who watch the Raptors, they get to appreciate this way more than than anybody else because because we know how great he is if you contrast this with vince carter vince carter was like amazing for a couple of years and everybody you know in, in toronto everybody like knew this this guy was freaking amazing and then the u.s down south realized and then then we all shared the vince carter glory right but kyle lowry his glory is almost ours you know because he's almost a hidden jewel i don't know why but he still remains somewhat of a like a, of like a of a secret story really because because the way we perceive of Kyle Lowry is different how people people in the states perceive of him. So that, that that's what kind of makes him extra special for me, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, he also has the appeal of the everyman because he doesn't have these great athletic. Although he is supremely athletic in so many ways, it doesn't show comparatively to a lot of other players on the court. Like a guy like Jared Bayless is a much worse player than Kyle Lowry, but his athletic measurements, his his cone test, his vertical. All that kind of stuff would be better, but in Kyle Lowry's case, it's that preternatural sense of where to be on offense and defense, the way he reads the game, and we can all aspire to read the game. And so that'll, you know, it'll be a segue into the start of the game where we'll we'll kind of walk through the game and seeing the game. Initially, Nick Nurse brings out a box in one and sustains it. And of course, their their possessions meld into man man to man. They meld into uh, different types of zone defenses, the triangle and two things like that. But a sustained amount of time, like around five six minutes of just boxing one initially as the base defense. What did you think about that adjustment from Nurse initially? I, I, man, I, I wasn't honestly paying too much attention to the to, to the defense uh, because the Raptors have more or less been able to contain the Celtics. Their struggles have been entirely on the offensive end in this series, right? That they struggle to score against Boston's Boston's set defense. They don't get any transition points. So it's always been a been a been a struggle. But defensively, I'm I'm never like too worried about the Raptors. I like I think they can more or less get stops when they really need to. The only exceptions are I think two instances. The first quarter to answer your question, man, I wasn't really paying too much attention, so forgive me for that. But the, but the two but the two <laughs> The two instances where I was really paying attention was at the start of the fourth, when Boston hit those uh, hit the, hit those threes because the Raptors were really drive conscious there and were collapsing and 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 they were getting clean looks on the perimeter. And the fact that that happened four times before Nurse called a timeout is something you can question him for. 
but eventually we adjusted a little bit there. And the second instance was late in the game, I think it was fourth and OT or whatever it was, when we kept on sending OG to help on the drive and Tice was open on the baseline and got like three or four alley-oops, right? Like it's those situations where I expect the Raptors to react a little quicker. So it's great that you're asking me how they did at the start of the game and how they held together with the base defense. But it's in those two situations which almost lost us the game. Four threes in a row, whatever, three or four alley-oops in a row on the same exact play. We have to be quicker there. Like we can't, we can't allow us... We, we can't allow four gunshot wounds before we call the doctor. It's got to be after one, man. <laughs> like that, 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 is, that is something to learn from from this game. Well, yeah, I agree. So there's four alley-oops altogether. Jalen Brown had one, and he obviously had free throws out of it, and Tice had three. And they all came, you know, approaching off of the weak side, hanging out that dunker spot. And that did make you think, let's talk about one of Marcus Saul or Serge Ibaka not being at the end of the game because when the defense does break down, as the Celtics show, it's nice to be able to throw the ball to a guy in the dunker spot. The Raptors did win. They did prevail. But what did you think about closing small? Because on its face, of course it worked, and the defense was really impressive aside from allowing those breakdowns at the back end. But would you have liked to see, were you thinking to yourself, okay, I want to see Gasol or Ibaka in here right now? Uh, yeah, so I, I think now that we won, we can always say hindsight is twenty twenty, and we should have gone small. Uh, so I, I'll I'll give you the like, my thoughts at the time were Siakam is struggling tremendously. He's a negative on offense. He's he's taking bad shots and he's making some selfish plays. To be honest with you, uh, and we should replace him with with Ibaka because Ibaka could Ibaka can essentially score in the post whenever he wants if he's patient enough and the Raptors look for him because he he's a good finisher off the glass with the hook he he composes himself he gathers himself well i i think that's basically a uh, a source of offense which we haven't really explored Ibaka in the post but going back to going small the one thing that Siakam did really well and he needs to be given credit for is his defense on Jason Tatum or, or even when he switched on to somebody. So if you're like, who, like who would you take out? Like if if you had to go, if you had to go, um, Ibaka, would you take out like Siakam? Or would you take out like Powell? Well, just if it's the exercise, I'm not sure who I'd take out for Ibaka. But there's no way if I'm coaching that I put Ibaka in the game. It would have been Gasol, or you keep it small because uh, you brought up Pascal's defense. To me, he was the best defender in the game. And by quite a large stretch, his rotations to the to the rim a lot of times in the game and being able to recover out to above the break to contest threes his range defensively. I don't think it's crazy that he ended up with the plus 12 in the game. It's not crazy to me that the Raptors were winning his minutes because how he played defensively was transformative. And I don't think it would look the same. But if I had to choose for a Baca, I think beforehand, if I'm putting a Baca in, I would have taken out Powell. But obviously, Nick Nurse, I mean, Powell turned out and he turned it up and he, he caught the heater. And obviously, that decision looks ingenious now. It's it's fantastic decision. Yeah, and I think I think either way, it, it, I, I hate what ifs, especially when it comes to subs. Uh, I think Ibaka would have been fine in there, but but he, he, he wasn't in there and somebody else played and he won the game. So let's talk. Let's talk about, hey, man. Like, this site's been a little hard on Marc Gasol. By the way, I posted that video on the site breaking down his, um, you know, his his, uh, his defense, and, I, and it was meant to compliment him. It was meant to say, listen, man, Gasol's been struggling, but he's not been terrible defensively. His offense just needs to come around. And man, 
I think Leo Routon said it uh, on the broadcast. When that shot went in, his three, he said something like, I have never been happier for a player to see his shot go in. And I couldn't agree more, man, because that layup he blew in the first quarter, like that wide open layup, uh, when he like flailed his arms after got frustrated. And then, you know, at halftime, he walked off and like, you know, almost ripped his shirt apart. Just to see him like overcome that adversity was beautiful. And I really hope that both Powell and Gasol can take the positives of this game and the fact that they came as a team, they overcame so much adversity that can get you so much momentum heading into game seven, right? And, and I think that's what we have to hang our hat on heading into that deciding game. Yeah, anybody who listens to this podcast would know I've been addressing Gasol's defense as if it were one of the best on the team so far this series. I think the Raptors lose this series already, if not for Gasol. His defense has been extremely good. The way he negotiates the space between Kemba and the lob man, who's usually Tice, Typically, Robert Williams is matched up with Ibaka in those minutes. But Gasol, the way he's able to shepherd and corral players to places on the floor that are less potent, super important. But also, yes, the Raptors at times offensively, at a lot of times, playing four on five with Gasol out there. So to see that three drop in, if that's the precursor to more success, game seven looks like something the Raptors can do because – when he started hitting, he hit two threes in that third quarter, and it was kind of like everybody. I know in the group chat we were talking about something about feeling like, oh Jesus, this is cocaine. This is what it is. Like we're we're all on a high right now because it felt like, oh my God, we're on the we're on the road to winning now just because somebody started hitting shots. So it seems like, as you said, Powell Gasol, if this is the precursor to more success. Game seven looks really, really nice. Yeah, and I, th- I think we also need to get. We were talked. We talked about Gasol. We talked about Lowry. Uh, OG obviously with some two massive shots and passes too. Like that, that three he hit from the top of the circle in in in, in OT was big, big balls. And not, I also want to call out a couple of su- that one assist he had to set up. I think Van Vliet or or I, I'm not sure who it was for the three at the at the top. When he when when the shot clock running down, he drove and kicked it back out. That that was a crucial crucial three, and he also played 50 minutes today. Yeah, and also not just that he made the shot, but that the fact that he's willing to operate as the screener in the screener role in overtime, pop to his spot and take the shot. That's super important and really makes Tice look bad for dropping low. And also to give OG his flowers even more so, the defensive rebounding. And the ability to get a putback every now and then, even though that's something I've talked about ad nauseum in this series, his rebounding has been immense. You see, every time there was, obviously in the first half, the rebounding was horrible because they were playing so much zone and it's hard to, you know, find the man every single time as five guys looking for another five guys. But as far as OG, every time you saw the ball go up, he was in the middle of it, reaching trying to grasp at the ball and more often than not coming down with it. He was in the middle of everything. And so not only did he have those great defensive possessions, he only got got once. And that was when Kemba hit that step back in the middle of the lane, but every other possession, if OG got switched out on, it was a miss. He was so fantastic at suppressing anything the Celtics want to do and having him and Siakam operating it as kind of a, a two headed beast above the break. Super important and so much fun to watch. I, I loved OG's game today. What, what did you think of uh, Van Vliet's, uh, like overall game? Uh, like, st- start with his offense. Like, it's it's not great. 
he clearly operates best, especially against this team. The Nets, that series was a bit of an outlier where the Raptors asked him, hey, we need you to be the lead guard. You're going to be the guy who initiates all the pick and rolls. You're going to find the seams to the corners in transition and pseudo transition. And I think he did a good job. But in this series, he can't push in transition. And he's very dependent on transition. We talk about Pascal needing transition, but so does Fred. Mm-hmm. And the the Celtics were really good at funneling him into the middle of their offense where we've seen Tatum, Brown, Smart. Yeah, I, I felt he did. I think he had his normal struggles. I mean, I, th- I think he overestimates his finishing ability when he's amongst the trees. In the middle of the floor for himself or others. Yeah, and, but I did notice that he was making better passes out of those, uh, you know, when, whenever the Celtics collapsed. I think his passing was a lot better. It wasn't just to the corners. I think a couple of times he passed it back out and it was a decent reset with like at least 14, 15 on the clock or at least 10, 12. So I, I don't think he was as black hole-ish as he usually is on those uh, on those situations. So slight improvement for him, but I'm just like, forget about the X's alone for a second, man. I just think the, the Celtics, you know, they're a young team. They, yeah, they've been to the Eastern conference finals, like what, three straight years or whatever. Um, but I think they have to be a little shaken and going like, Oh no, not again. We blew a two nothing lead. And now we blew a closeout game. And now will the Raptors win two in a row again? I don't know, man. I'm just saying like the, the experience factor certainly goes in Toronto's favor in Game Seven, and, and I'm and I'm not one to like over-index on the experience part, but in this case, I, I just feel the Raptors have that have that edge. Yeah, that that could be a factor, and it's interesting, right, how the psychology works out because a lot of teams win Game Six, but it, they say the team that wins Game Five goes on to win 82% of the time. And that includes Game 7s where that team probably has to win after losing Game 6. But the Raptors, the never underestimate the heart of a champion. The moral fiber of this team is thicker than rebar. It's like it's it's tangible and intangible at the same time. You understand where they come from. You understand what motivates them. And they have a never-ending reservoir to pull from, apparently, led by Kyle Lowry. And the Celtics, they are proven to be extremely talented. They have star power, and it's proven. Tatum, I think, has been fantastic in this series. But as you said, that experience could be that could be the biggest thing in Game Seven. I can't wait to see how Kyle and Co. play in that game. Are, are, are you think the Raptors are kind of over? I don't know, over indexing on the on stopping the drive. Yeah, that's that's a super interesting question for this series because the Celtics have made their hay in the corner triples, so. Are the Raptors like, yes, I think so. And that's why I think the defense has been so much better with Gasol on the floor is typically they don't help as much when Gasol is operating in the middle and he's got that big belly. He can he can maintain his verticality while still kind of pushing guys away from their spot, whether they're jumping or trying to get that initial bump on a layup. And I do think they are a little bit. But if we think back to the first couple games of this series where it was just Tatum downhill with that right to left Euro step and getting fouled on everything and shooting like 12 free throws a game, it's tough to to think about what the games look like if Tatum is all of a sudden being marched to the line if they go back to playing that way. So, you know, it depends because if they're not going to give Tatum 12 free throws a game, maybe you start playing that way again and you usher him downhill and you kind of, you let the guys play straight up. But 
that could be something that happens. Yeah. And as you see more of the Celtics, uh, as Nick Nurse and the Raptors see more of the Celtics, I think the longer the series goes, the the more the Raptors have a chance to figure out how to defend the tough matchups. Like I think Jason Tatum in this game had a, you know, he had a decent game, nine for 21, 29 points. Um, but man, like he had to work for his points, right? Like, I mean, early on in the series, you, you saw him like dribble fairly easily to that elbow area, launch that jumper, get two easy points. But this time around, he was made to work. And, and a lot of that is the Raptors and just knowing his tendencies a bit more. I think Siakam defended him in this game much better than anybody defended him in the, over the first five games. So just by seeing, their, uh, seeing Tatum and Brown more, I, I feel the Raptors have like a bit of a plus point there uh, because their one-on-one defenders are able to react better to what the other guys are trying to do. We still haven't solved for Marcus Smart being wide freaking open on the on the on the on the corners, but I just feel longer the series goes, the Raptors are the one that uh, might be better off. Yeah, and it's just about catching the the proper balance. We've seen games where Brown was horrible, that four for eighteen game, and the Raptors completely nullified everything that Kemba was doing. They they blitzed with three guys, those double screens that they love to run for him. And then Jalen Brown was the release valve and he missed. In this game, Brown was the release valve, but it was good early on. So he finished with thirty one. Kemba had five points. And game seven it will be the ultimate question of how are the Raptors going to divvy up these possessions? Because they command where the shots go with their defense more often than not. And they might be able to that to do that in Game 7. It's just about identifying who you want to pick on, who you think is going to falter in the moment of Game 7. And that's who you give 30 shots to. For example, Jalen Brown took 30 shots in this game. That's a win for the Raptors in most cases. And they probably want to look to do the same thing in Game 7. Yeah. And, and man, I, I want to call out... Uh, one recognition by Kyle Lowry, small, you know, in a, in a double overtime game, which is decided by three points, everything is important. But there's two plays that that really stuck out to me is how he coaxed Tice into fouling him twice, because when OG is setting a screen and uh, Tice tries to like switch over and like just contain Lowry or hedge a little bit for Lowry, if Lowry has an extra burst of speed there, Tice cannot guard him. He is either forced to let Lowry go on the turn. Or foul him because he's too slow on that. And I think the Raptors picked up on that in this game. They only exploited it like maybe three times. But that, that again, is something that if the Raptors' offense is struggling, they can go to that and maybe pick up some cheap fouls or, 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 or you know, just throw the Celtics off a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely a big thing for the Raptors to go after. And especially with Kyle at the forefront of it is trying to get them into trouble because the Raptors have been in foul trouble this whole series. So many different players, maybe game seven, they can get Tice out early. They can kind of exercise those Robert Williams minutes early, and then they can see where they go from there. Maybe even get some canter minutes. Who knows? But Lowry being able to identify who to go after on the floor, huge part of what the Raptors want to do. And I, I'd love to see that in Game 7. Except the Raptors haven't really looked to, looked to uh, do that because Jalen Brown, I think, had four fouls at halftime or pretty close to it. And the Raptors never really made a considered effort to get a fifth foul on him. I think he's, he picked up his fifth at some point late, and it wasn't even it was like off the ball or something. It wasn't even a like a real foul. So, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I like the strategy, but the Raptors just have not – that has not been their focus at all. Like they're too worried about other things. Yeah, well, when you can't create (laughs) and when like the thing is, if you can't create often, foul baiting can look really bad. And it can also do the inverse effect where the refs start to think you're just 
it's just bullshit, really. Like, you can't create anything, so you're just trying to draw fouls, and that's not basketball, so they don't reward it. So it's, yeah, it's finding that proper mix of being dominant and also getting after those types of guys. So it would be new in this series if they did it, but I, it would be nice to see it, to see it kind of go after the Celtics have done that to the Raptors a couple times in this series. Hey, can we end on the end of regulation play? Yeah, <laughs> sure. You go ahead. What did you think? Man, that's a that's a shooting foul. Ten out of ten times, that's a shooting foul. Like Jimmy Butler gets you know gets the call with zeros on the clock, and in this case, it's an alley oop to the rim. What else is OG going to do? Either it's a foul while the ball is still out of bounds, which is a technical, or it's a shooting foul. It's not like OG's catching that ball to gather and go up. I I, I cannot. I, maybe maybe. Maybe I'm reading this incorrectly, but I cannot find an explanation where that is a non-shooting foul. I just cannot. Yeah, I think they they flubbed that call, but I wasn't too angry because ostensibly it did look like Fred kind of whacked Kemba on his attempt before. And I was like, okay, it's playing out. And I also thought that if the Raptors are going to win... They need to make shots because they need to make shots in Game Seven anyway. Boy, you're and, a, you, you know, you're a way out, more level-headed man than I am, man. Okay. Well, you know this. Okay. Like I'm, I'm the no ref talk guy. I, I typically, yeah, I, I have optimism for refs. Maybe <laughs> that I shouldn't. You know, <laughs> maybe it's not well deserved on their end. All right. All right. I'm exhausted, right. man. Let's end this. I'm exhausted. Okay, Zarar. Is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? No, I got nothing to plug. Okay. Well, listener, thank you very much for tuning in, Zarar. Thank you very much for coming. But here's the thing. We're done. I'm out of here. You're out of here. And whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, Raptors Game 7, a couple days away. Have a blessed day and goodbye.